represent different kingdoms. And this is interpreted for you. The four beasts also, this is point number two, the four beasts of Daniel and the beast of Revelation also represent the king of the kingdom. So you need to understand both of those things, right? It can be the king or it can be the kingdom that we're talking about. You just read the context, you can determine what it's speaking about. Also, uh, we need to understand number three, point number three, remember that the waters represented the people, the nations, and the tongues. And that is very important because originally in Daniel 7, in the very beginning, we see the four beasts arrives and they arise in the sea. That's showing you that there's four beasts that are reigning over the sea. When we get to Revelation chapter number 13, we only see one beast that arises. That is the one world government. That is one kingdom, one nation that's reigning over the entire world. So that's very important to understand. Uh, point number four, we have to, and this is, this is very crucial. We have to get and understand that these four beasts are on the earth concurrently. And, and no one virtually gets this correct, but that's extremely important. And tonight we're going to start seeing why that's so important. When we start putting the pieces of this puzzle together, we'll see why that's so, so important. So they're on the earth concurrently. That means at the same time. They would be considered like contemporaries of one another. Um, and, and, and this time obviously is the end times, right? The latter days. We also have to understand that. So the previous point would then cause us to conclude that the... Most popular theory that they you know, are uh, uh, one after the other, they are in succession to one another, and they are Babylon, Persia, Greek, and Rome, it would cause us to understand and conclude that that's not correct, that that is incorrect. So we must understand that, that this is not speaking of these successive kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greek, and Rome. These are four kingdoms and four kings that reign upon the earth all at the same time. These are all very, very important points. Very important. Um, and then also, we, we, uh, we saw that the fourth beast uh, was the kingdom that the Antichrist comes from. That's very important. So that fourth beast, that fourth kingdom, is the kingdom that the Antichrist rises out of. And remember, you know, there's the, the ten existing kings that are within that kingdom. We also saw that the fourth beast, uh, and I've never really heard anybody teach this either, but it's very obvious, the fourth beast, the identity of the fourth beast is the red dragon. The fourth beast is the red dragon. And uh, that's very, very important to understand, and we're going to see that, you know, furthermore of, of why tonight. So that fourth beast is identified for us, um, and that is the red dragon. When we read in Daniel 7, we're not told what the identity, what particular animal that beast is. All the other three were told. But the fourth beast we're not told. We see that in the New Testament and it's a red dragon. Uh, we saw that the fourth beast in Daniel 7 only has one head. All of these points, you're going to need to keep all of these in mind for here in just a minute. If any of them are incorrect, you're not going to be able to piece together Revelation 13. If any of them are incorrect. And then we also saw that the horns on the beast they symbolized different kings within that kingdom. So when there was horns on one head, and that head is the one beast, obviously, that symbolizes different kings reigning within that same one kingdom. So it's not separate, you know, uh, uh, kingdoms, but it's different kings or rulers within that one kingdom. And uh, there's many different ways that you could interpret that. Now, all of those, one more time let me say this, it's very important. All of those are extremely significant. And there were a couple other small details that I mentioned that were more on, along the lines of just, you know, they, were, they, they weren't crucial to what we're going to be looking at tonight. 
they were just maybe understanding how to study, you know, these symbols and how they represent different things. But those are all the key points that you must have properly, uh, you must properly understand in order to start putting the pieces of this puzzle together. I'm going to be giving you a couple of other points and then we're going to start kind of looking at the identity and interpreting the beast of Revelation 13, which is ultimately what we want to do. Daniel 7 is just a, a, a small kind of introductory prophecy of Revelation 13. Revelation 13 really just lays everything out in a much clearer way. Um, but uh, that's what we're going to get to is the book of Revelation here in just a moment. And we're we're going to be picking up with the, the transition of the kingdoms. Now, if you remember, that's what we were doing uh, the, the majority of the sermon last week. We were going to, through the transition of all the kingdoms at the, in the end times. I want to give you one more point that's very similar to the other points where people really mess up on. This is super important. I want you to keep your hand where you're at right now. Go to Revelation 17. Revelation 17 is the chapter of the great whore or the harlot. <clears throat> you need to make sure when you're studying this topic that you do not confuse two things with one another. A lot of people, they end up conflating. They end up conflating the great whore or the harlot, that woman, with the beast. And they end up making it the same thing. And it's super important, and I'm going to show you why here in just a moment, that you don't do that. You need to make sure you understand these are two different things. So go to Revelation chapter number 17. A lot of the symbolism is interpreted in Revelation chapter number 17 also. We'll see a little bit of that. Revelation chapter number 17, look at verse number 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw, watch this, a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So, right here in verse number three, within the symbolism, we can see that they are two different things. They're not the same thing. There's a reason why we have the whore and we have the beast, because they're different. God wants them, you know, uh, he's choosing what these little, you know, uh, pictures or analogies are going to be, and he chooses that there is the great whore, which is symbolizing the great city. But then there's also this beast. And we're going to see why that this is very important right now. Notice that the whore is riding the beast. They're not the same thing. And people will try to make them the same thing, but they're not the same thing. The whore is riding the beast. They are distinct from one another. Now, we know, as I said, I just interpreted it, but that the whore is the great city. Look at verse number 18. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So notice that this, this whore here is a city. It is a literal city. Now, what was the beast? It was kingdoms. The kingdoms are not necessarily the city. Now, you know, you know to, to be a little bit compassionate, I guess, here for a minute, I understand why people could kind of conflate the two. I, and now, I'm going to show you why it matters here in a minute, because it's not the same thing. Because somebody could say, well, you know, isn't the, isn't, you know, it'd be like saying this. It would be like saying, isn't Washington, D.C. the same as the United States? That's basically how, and so you could see how somebody could confuse those two things. 
You can see why somebody could say, well, that, you know, it, it's basically like saying that the capital of the kingdom is the kingdom, right? But they're not necessarily the same thing. You know why? Think of an empire, and, we're, and this is actually what is relative to what we're going to study right now. Think of an empire when they expand. That empire exists, but at any time they can move that, that capital to another location, couldn't they? They can move that capital to another city. So it's not necessarily the same thing, is it? One of those cities could be destroyed. Uh, for example, uh, um, Constantine built Constantinople after Rome existed as an empire. He decided to move because of invading forces. So he did that exact thing. So you can see there that there's a distinction between the capital city, the main city, the hub, right, of the kingdom, and the kingdom itself. The whore is riding the beast. The whore is not the beast. I want you to look at, and I'm going to show you why this matters right now. Look at verse number 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Look at verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, those are the kings of the beast. It's basically the beast and the same thing, right? These shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Do you see why it matters? Notice that. Because now, you know what we see happening? The beast destroys who? The whore. How could they be the same thing? And a lot of people will make this mistake where they conflate the two. But it matters. It matters a lot. Everything in the Bible, the Bible is a divine book. Man didn't just write the Bible. These symbols come from God. You know, he used man to pin it down, but they weren't man's words. So all of it matters. It's, it, you know, nothing in the Bible is coincidental, incidental, or accidental. It matters. Because somebody, you see, man studies... Then he thinks the Bible's simplistic. You know, what it's, you know what's easy for him to do? Oh, it's just the same thing. Just shuffling things around like it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal, but it does matter. It's very intricate. And then you know you get yourself into trouble because you see what happens? The beast destroys the whore. So you, you go about teaching that they're the same thing and then you can't describe you know, how that would actually take place. We know that the great whore, I just preached this sermon very recently, is Jerusalem. The great whore is Jerusalem. The way that this works is when this mass government you know, or this mass, you know, one world system by the Antichrist is put into place, he ends up moving his capital or his hub to Jerusalem. Very similar to what Constantine did. He goes to Jerusalem. This is when he walks into the temple. You know, everybody's talking about prophecy. The temple must be built, right? That's because the Antichrist goes in and he declares himself to be God. He reigns from the temple. He begins reigning. Now that beast and that kingdom already exists prior to the city even being the capital. But you know what he starts doing is that now becomes his hub. That now becomes his, you know, his uh, uh, main central point or his capital of his city. So you see it's very, very important. So, uh, uh, so that's one thing that we need to make sure that we aren't in error about because it'll get you into a lot of trouble, you know, if you don't understand some of these symbols. Uh, so notice there, yeah, the horns... The, the horns were the different kings. I want you to, to go back to Daniel chapter number 7. The horns were the different kings. I want you to keep that in, in mind. We're going to be looking at a few things. Now, quickly also, I want to review where we actually left off last week. I'll give you that other bite-sized little small side point and add that to just like the points that we began with. These little small little bite-sized truths of interpreting all this symbolism. But I also want to review with you very quickly what we went through last week. It was the transition of the kingdoms of the, uh, uh, that will be on the earth in the end times. The first thing that we saw was the rise of the three beasts. Those three kingdoms rose up, right? 
Then we saw the rise of the fourth beast, which is a fourth kingdom. Then we went and we followed the rise of the Antichrist. We followed and saw the rise of the Antichrist. We saw when that fourth beast arose, if you remember, it, when uh, Daniel looked at it, it had ten horns. And those ten horns were ten kings within that one kingdom. Right? And they could be reigning over provinces. This could be something like the UN or something. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But it is a kingdom. It's some sort of kingdom that has ten kings within it. And uh, the Antichrist is the little horn that, that arises. That was where we, we were kind of transitioning into while we were studying. That the Antichrist is a little horn that arises among those ten horns. And it says, before whom I saw three horns plucked up by the roots. And it tells us that when the Antichrist arises within that kingdom, as the eleventh king within that kingdom, he destroys three other kings. So that leaves eight. That would, be, that would be the eighth. That would make him the eighth. Now, I'm going to tell you how I interpret this. I'm going to go ahead and kind of uh, explain to you where we're going to go with this. We have those three beasts. And I believe that those three beasts are conquered by the fourth beast. I believe that those three beasts are conquered by the fourth beast. And... Uh, Actually, let's, let's hold off on that for just a minute. Go to Daniel 7. Let's, let's kind of rewind a little bit. We'll put the brakes on that for just a minute because I think that might be a little confusing to go ahead and delve into that now. Let's look at Daniel 7, 8. We're going to look at this real quick because this is where we left off. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So I want you to notice there, that's the rise of the Antichrist. This is where we left off. Look at verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Slide your bulletin in there, because we're going to be coming back to Daniel 7, of course. Go over to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. This is the very last verse that we looked at. What you see when the Antichrist goes forth or rises to power, you are seeing him going forth to conquer. We see that taking place in Revelation 6 too. This is actually where he goes forth and he's expanding his kingdom. I believe that this is where the Antichrist goes forth. This is where the tribulation begins. And the Antichrist goes forth and he begins to expand his kingdom. Look at verse number 2. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Notice that a crown was given unto him. He was, he was given power. This is, I believe, when he conquers those three uh, uh, other horns. Those three other kings, and you know what he gets? He gets a crown given unto him. At that point, now he's in power. You know what he does as soon as he becomes in power? That's why he's referred to as the beast also in Revelation chapter number 13. And he goes forth conquering and to conquer. You know what he's doing? He's going forth to take over the world. He's going forth to rule the world, to, to defeat and subdue all of the other kingdoms. Now, how many other kingdoms were on the earth at that time? This is the what? Fourth beast. So there's three other kingdoms that are on the earth at that time. I want you to go over to Revelation chapter number 12. I believe that this is taking place right after Revelation 6-2 and somewhat at the same time. 
Look at Revelation chapter number 12. It says this in Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in pain, or I'm sorry, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Now here we see this great red dragon, right? And that's how we identify what that fourth beast was in Daniel 7. It was a red dragon. It says he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. So notice that there's seven heads in total, right? Seven heads and there's ten horns in total, right? and seven crowns upon his head. What's missing on three of the horns? You notice that? Three crowns. Do you remember what it told you in Daniel chapter number 7, verse number 24? Exactly. It said, that there was, it said originally that there was ten, then there was another one that came up, before whom there were three plucked up by the roots. Right? What does that give you then? Not including the Antichrist at this time. That gives you seven. Right now, the timing of Revelation chapter number 12 is the Antichrist going forth to battle. He's going forth to conquer. It's the same timing. The timing of Revelation chapter number 12 is the same as Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation 6 2 is the beginning of the tribulation. Do you know where the beginning of the tribulation is again? Later on in the book of Revelation. It happens. You split it right down, down the middle. It begins in Revelation 12 again. Right now is where you start to see the persecution of Christians. If you skip down, look at Verse number, let's look at, uh, where does it begin? Anybody know exactly where he goes forth to, to make war with the Christians? Is it all the last, very last verse? Well, yeah, it tells you in verse number 17, or verse number 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, there we go. And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. This is the beginning of the tribulation. So it's, what it is, is it's the Antichrist has now risen to power. He's subdued those other three, right? Now, I want you to keep this in mind. There was a difference. And this is kind of new to my own knowledge as well. Something I've realized very recently. There's a difference between those fourth beasts. Because remember, Daniel says, I want to know about that fourth beast. That fourth beast is, 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 is more powerful, right? It's, it's you know, great, exceedingly, strong, exceedingly. Do you remember one of, the, one of the differences about the kingdom of the fourth beast than the three? Do you remember what the fourth beast does? The three beasts, it never mentions them reigning over the whole earth. But that fourth beast, even before the Antichrist goes into power, it does mention that they devoured the whole earth and they stamped the residue with their feet. Right? They stamped the residue or it stamped the residue with its feet. So even before the Antichrist, I believe... I believe it's inter it, the, way, the proper way to interpret it is this. Bef even before the Antichrist actually comes into power and is ruling over the whole earth, I believe that the, the, this beast already was reigning over the kings of the earth in some way, in some form, some fashion, some way. Flip over to Revelation chapter number 13. Revelation chapter number 13. There's a change that takes place. There's a change that takes place eventually, though. 
where he gains full power. Now, whether it be the UN and maybe there's a treaty that's made, which is actually mentioned in the book of Daniel, where there's kind of a treaty and maybe there's a head of it, and then maybe he just comes in and takes full and to just, just total power. Just He is now completely at the head of it. Maybe people rebelled against him and he just kind of gathers full control and full power. Maybe that's why he goes forth and you know to conquer and conquering. But something changes at that stage as well. Where this fourth beast is reigning over the earth, it, it stomps or it says stamps in the book of Daniel, the residue with its feet. He even after that, the Antichrist that is, goes forth to conquer the world. You have the three missing and you have those seven, right? Well, I want you to look now at verse number one in Revelation 13.1. Notice there's a change now again. So this is, and, and let me say this too, uh, uh, real quick before we get into it, just a quick statement. This is in chronological order. The, the tribulation just began. He said he went forth to persecute the Christians at the end of Revelation 12. What begins, what happens all throughout Revelation 13? It's the mark of the beast. This is, the, this is in chronological order. So that beast even, that's chronological order right there. And I want you to look further. We're going to see the next transition of the beast. Look at Revelation 13.1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So we see this same beast, seven heads, ten crowns upon the ten horns. Look at verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. I want you to notice the difference in how this beast is described. Originally it just told you that the beast was a great red dragon and it had seven heads, right? I want you to look over, go back to Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter number 7. So you should have kept your, your bulletin there. I want to go back through quickly these other beasts and compare a couple of things. Also, one thing that's real interesting in the Bible, and this is very important just for you know, self-knowledge, that dragon and serpent are used interchangeable, right? You know, some of the language in the King James Bible is a little bit, you know, different than how we would speak today. But it's just referring to a reptile. And I'll show you in Revelation chapter number 12, uh, verse number 15, it says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood. And then it tells you in verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. And it, told you in verse, it told you in verse 16, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. What did it say? Did it at first? The serpent. The dragon it said after that. So that's being used interchangeably because it's just a, a word to describe like a reptile, right? And different types of reptiles. Uh, but uh, in that case, it was a dragon and then a reptile. Or a serpent, I'm sorry, as those reptiles. Look at Daniel 7, and let's look at these beasts real quickly, and then I want to put them together, and I want to explain to you why these misinterpretations that many Christians hold today matter so much. Look at the first beast, verse 4. It says, The first beast was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth. Now, what type of animal was that? A lion. So the first animal, the first beast, it says, is a lion. Right? Verse 5, and another beast, here's the second, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. It goes forth and gives us more details. So we have another kingdom or another beast. What is it? It's a bear. 
Look at verse number 6. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So notice this beast, which is like a leopard, has four heads. So we, we've went through three of them already, right? And there's the fourth, which we know is a dragon. You have the, the first beast, which is a lion. It doesn't tell you that it, this is a, it has any special features. We'd assume, uh, and we would be correct to assume that it has one head. It's a lion. It has one head, and it's a lion. The second beast is a bear, and it has one head. And, you know, we'd be safe to assume that as well. The third beast, it says, is a leopard. And there's something specific about this animal that's different than a natural leopard. Is it tells us it has four uh, heads. Right? Now, look at the fourth beast. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it says, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, is there anything mentioned at all about it having multiple heads? It doesn't say that at all, does it? It actually mentions its teeth, but it never says that it has multiple heads that these teeth are in, right? Actually, on the contrary, it tells you that it only has one head. Look over at verse number 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns, watch this, that were in his head. Where are those ten horns? They're in his head. How many heads does this beast have? Just one. Just one. That's the fourth beast. This is the beast that the Antichrist comes out of. Okay, so what we have so far, just to go over it again real quick, is... Kingdom number one has, is a lion, right? That is what it is. It's a lion with one head. Kingdom number two is a bear. One head. That's all that we're told, right? And it talks about wings and various things like that, right? Kingdom number three is a leopard. And we're told specifically that the leopard has how many heads? Four. Then we have kingdom number four. And this is the kingdom that the Antichrist comes out of. And how many heads does he have? One. Or, yeah, one. If we put all of those heads together, how many do you get? One plus one, two, plus four, six, plus one, seven. Seven heads. Go back to Revelation chapter number 13. Go back to Revelation chapter number 13. <clears throat> Look again at verse number one. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Look at verse number two. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet, look at this. So he's like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear. Right? And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Do you see all this? And it says, and the dragon. Notice the dragon's mentioned. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Did you notice that? This beast has seven heads. How many heads do we get when we added up all those kingdoms and all those beasts from Daniel 7? Seven. What were each of the individual kingdoms and beasts from Daniel 7? A lion? A leopard? I'm not going in order. We'll go in order just to make it easier. A lion? A bear? A leopard? And what? A dragon. What does this beast look like? 
He looks like a lion. He looks like a bear. He looks like a leopard. And he looks like a dragon. And as I said, he has seven heads. Do you know why? What did the Antichrist go forth to do? To conquer. To conquer what? To conquer the earth. Do you know what he did? That fourth beast that's on the earth, he goes out and once the Antichrist gets in control, he's not satisfied with just the power that he has. And he's not just a man that's going forth. He has, and, and I'm going to get into the transition that takes place with the Antichrist and how it's the devil incarnate and all of that. But he has the dragon giving him his power and his, his, his seat and great authority and the dragons behind him and propelling him and, and helping him to conquer. And he goes forth, you know what he does? Is he defeats the other three kingdoms on the, the earth. Now these three kingdoms are kingdoms that are powerful kingdoms. They're exceeding strong. It describes how the bear, it says, devours much flesh. The lion is just powerful. The leopard has four heads. It's powerful. It's swift. It has wings. It's describing very, very strong beasts and animals because these are very strong kingdoms that are going to be on the earth. But then the fourth kingdom is going to be far more powerful than any of these other three kingdoms. You know what it does? It goes out and it takes over those kingdoms. It subdues and has dominion and defeats all of those other kingdoms. And you know what you see is when the Antichrist goes forth, he conquers all those kingdoms and you see an amalgamation. If you took all four of those kingdoms and you just shoved them into one, do you know what you'd have? Exactly what you see in Revelation 13. If you took all four of those kingdoms and just like mixed them together and made a one world kingdom, a kingdom that reigned over all the earth, do you know what you'd have? A seven-headed dragon that would be like a, like a lion, he would be like a leopard, and it would be like a bear. You know what that is? It's the kingdoms of all the earth. All the earth, and you know who the, the head of it all is? The Antichrist, reigning over all of them. I want you to go with me now. We'll flip over to Revelation chapter number 17. Revelation chapter number 17. Now, tonight's sermon, it's not going to be, it's going to be, all of these have been a lot shorter than usual, but just because it's bite-sized chunks. We're going to look at Revelation 17. Then I want to back up to where we began the sermon with why all of those points matter so much and all of these misinterpretations. What I just taught to you, you would never be able to figure out if you believed the, the mainstream view that everyone holds today. You would never figure it out. It's, not po it's literally not possible because they contradict one another. So look at Revelation 17, and I'm going to go into a little bit more of the horns and how the numbers change of the horns in uh, one of the coming weeks. But I want to read here in Revelation 17 some verses that we really haven't got to hit much, and I want to interpret them in a later date. I just want to make sure we see them, we read them. Uh, it says in verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. I want to, I want to interpret this just on the surface for you of, of just what it's talking about, and then we'll actually identify these things later. So, obviously we know that this stuff is difficult, right? We see the statement at the end of Revelation 13. You don't need to turn there. It says this, Revelation 13, 18. That's what we were reading. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. What does that kind of just imply to you? It's going to be deep. You need wisdom to interpret it, right? A lot of this stuff is really difficult. It takes a lot of time to study. It's, it's, it's intricate. It's very detailed. And the symbolism like that is, is difficult. 
We see the same thing here in Revelation 17.9. So don't get discouraged if this is, a lot of this is hard. You just need to kind of look at it some more and, and study it some more. Verse 9 it says, and here is wisdom. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. Saying if you understand this, you have wisdom. That's what that means, that statement. It's a little bit worded different than how we would speak today. But it's saying the same thing we saw in Revelation 13. It says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, just to make this even more difficult for you, mountains in the Bible represent kingdoms. So when he says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, um, if you remember in Daniel, what is it that he interprets his dream? Is that Daniel chapter number 4? Does anybody, do you guys remember? Maybe it's Daniel 4 where you have the, where, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, right? And then you have the arms of brass, the, the loins of silver, right? And the legs, and it's mixed with miry clay and all that. If you remember, you know, in that, in that particular dream, the Lord's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is a mountain that comes and he sets up this mountain. It's represented by kingdom. So this is very common throughout the Bible is my point that mountains will represent kingdoms, right? Oftentimes people will build their capital on a mountain so that they have you know, a good location that's protected. They can see down, they can protect their capital, they can protect their king. Also it, it's exalted above the earth like a kingdom is. So there's many reasons why. So those seven heads of the beasts are seven mountains or seven kingdoms, right? And now I had that backwards for you, so it looked weird probably, right? So the seven heads are seven mountains or seven kingdoms, it says, on which the woman sitteth. Now notice the woman sitting. Why? Because the woman is the hub which is reigning over all seven of these locations or all seven of these kingdoms, right? Because that is the headquarters, right? The headquarters, and it says, and there are seven kings. So there's seven kings in each of these seven kingdoms. Five are fallen, one is, and the, and one, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. Notice that. And is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So these seven, I want, this is important because I want you to understand that all four of those beasts and all four of those kingdoms are going to exist before the Antichrist comes. He comes into power and he begins reigning, you know, within the fourth kingdom. And then, you know, the Bible tells us that he dies. And I'll get into all of this. He dies and then he comes back to power. He comes back to life because he's trying to, he's trying to imitate the Christ. He comes back to life and this is when he's the devil incarnate, when Satan possesses him. And this is what causes the whole world to worship him. And this is why people flip like this. And you see all these, you see all these people out there that are like, and especially atheists. Because you see, how is the whole world going to worship this man? Well, it's because he's going to openly die, be dead for days, and raise from the dead. You know, Christ did that in a different way. He's going to do it openly where people are going to see him. And you know what they're going to do? All the atheists that say, show me a sign and I'll believe. The devil's going to say, I'll give you a sign. I'll show you something openly. All these people that you can't even imagine, like how, how would they ever do that? When, when it's a proven fact and you have, you have a, a mortician that's like preparing this guy's body, he's dead, people are mourning on the earth. You know, he was this great, great peacemaker. You remember, that's the description of the Antichrist. He has a mouth like no man. He's extremely articulate and charismatic. Everyone loves him. And then he dies and everyone's as sad as can be. He's brought peace throughout the whole world. This man, he dies, he's dead for days. He's dead for a long period of time and he rises from the dead. You know what happens? The whole world 
falls after this guy and is willing to worship him as their God. So when he walks into the temple, everybody's ready to worship him. Now imagine the pressure that would be on Christians then at that point. You know, how the persecution is going to be extending forth when you're like, this man is a devil. And the whole world is like literally a devil. And the whole world is, is you know, falling all over themselves over this man. You know, that'd be a scary world to live in. You know, so stay tuned. You know, a few more years and you'll experience it. But uh, he's the eighth. So that other kingdom is there. He arises. He's of the eighth. And then he says that he's, he's of the seventh. Saying he's of that kingdom. He arises within that kingdom, and then he kind of plugs himself into that seventh spot, and then he ends up taking over the beast. He's basically controlling the beast, and he decides to move his capital ultimately. This is all a lot of information kind of scattered, but ultimately to Jerusalem. Now, I want to explain to you from the beginning points why those are so important. And I always stress that, but why those are so important. Just one more quick reminder of what the majority of people believe, and we're going to be done. So this is a much shorter sermon than Sunday nights usually. Most people believe that the four beasts in Revelation 7 are four successive kingdoms, one after the next. They try to interpret it the same way as that, that, that statue, right? With the arms, the head, Nebuchadnezzar's the head, right? That's totally incorrect. It's 100% wrong. And the way that they, they, they try to interpret it is that the lion is Nebuchadnezzar, the, the bear is the Persians and the Medes, the leopard is Greece, and the last kingdom was Rome. And I know I've explained this a couple of times, but it's very important. I want to explain to you why right now. They, and they, they say the last kingdom's Rome, and they already have a problem with that because then they, they have to say, because it's like, well, Rome was on earth, but the, the fourth beast says is here during the time of the Antichrist. And Rome's gone. So they're like, oh, well, it's Roman Catholic Church because it'll resurrect and come back from the dead. You know, basically. It's going to be the Roman Catholic Church is the Roman Church incarnate because the Constantinople, or Constantine, I'm sorry, just passed the torch to the popes. You know, you've heard that before. Right? So they have to kind of like try to correct their mistake there when they're wrong to begin with. And I, and I showed very clearly that Daniel 7 tells you that these four beasts are on the earth all at the same time. You can prove it a couple of ways. Number one, it says these are four beasts that shall arise out of the earth. Future tense. The time that that took place, it tells you in verse number one, Daniel received this vision at the time of Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, showing that that lion shall arise out of the earth in the future while Nebuchadnezzar is already dead. So it couldn't be Nebuchadnezzar. He's already dead. He's not going to rise out of the earth, right? That's one way. But the, 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 just the case closed way to show this to people, you can even skip that, is that it tells you that in the end times that God is going to take the fourth beast and give his body to the burning flame. That's fulfilled in Revelation 20, verse 10. And, you know, it's talking about Revelation 20, 10, and, uh, but it's actually fulfilled, I'm sorry, in Revelation 19, at the end of Revelation 19, where the beast and the false prophet are, are thrown into hell, right? In the lake of fire. But then it tells you that the other three beasts, that their lives, their dominion is taken away, but their lives are prolonged. So they're allowed to continue. Let me ask you this question. Does the uh, Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, does it exist today or is it totally gone? Totally gone. Does the kingdom of Persia exist today? Or is it totally gone? Totally gone. Does the kingdom of, 
of, of uh, Greece exist today or is it totally gone? Does the kingdom of Rome exist today or is it totally gone? How in the world are there the other three kingdoms' lives going to be prolonged after the Antichrist is thrown into you know, uh, uh, the lake of fire and then they have their dominion taken away from them but their lives are prolonged? If those kingdoms don't even exist anymore, their dominion's already been taken from them. They don't exist. They're not on the earth. So it's, it's, it's an incorrect interpretation. But not only that, explain to me why all four of these beasts are amalgamated into one. Why, why, why does that beast in Revelation 13 look like a lion and like a bear and like a leopard and like a dragon? If these are successive kingdoms, one after the next, that looks to me like all four of them are all on the earth Ruling the earth as a monster all at the same time. A seven-headed monster, all existing, all at the same time. All the heads are alive. It makes perfect sense. So, if you try to take this interpretation that they're not contemporaries, well, number one, you defy clear scripture in Daniel 7, which it teaches. It teaches that they all are on the earth at the same time. It's game over. There's no discussion to be had. You're wrong. You know, people just, they like to hold on to these doctrines. You know how hard it would be? A lot of people will take to the grave that Rome is, you know. And you know what they do? See, know, notice there's an example of people conflating the two. You notice what I just did? The, those people, they say that the Roman Catholic Church is the fourth beast. But you know what they also say? That Rome is Babylon. See what they do? They conflate the whore, the great city, with the beast. Explain to me now, you know, Mr. Prophecy Master, how the beast destroys the, the whore. How's that happen? If the beast is Rome and the, and the whore is Rome. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. So they're all messed up. See how these are very, this is a skeletal outline of points that you must have correct. Or you will be all jacked up when you're studying Bible prophecy all messed up. So you must understand that these are not four successive beasts. They're four all on the earth at the exact same time. And then you can start putting the puzzle together. You see the fourth beast conquering the other beast. And then you see this amalgamated beast. This, this stinking monster where they he subdued these kingdoms and now they're on his side. Now he's plugged somebody into their spot or he's paid them off or however this works where those kings are on his side. So all of this power, imagine this. Imagine how frightful that this could be as well. All of this power is just amalgamated into one monster. How scary is a lion? Who would like to meet a lion down this alley? Nobody, right? You know? Who would like to meet a bear down this alley? It's walking on one side, three ribs in its mouth, and you're next, right? Nobody, right? Who would like to meet a four-headed leopard down this alley? None of us. Who would like to eat a, you know, you know, eat, meet a red dragon down this alley? None of us. Now, what would you, now what would you rather meet and have to face? One of those individual animals or a seven-headed bear, lion, leopard, dragon down this alley? That's a little worse, isn't it? That's showing you how strong and how mighty the one world government is going to be. It's not going to be some weak system. It's going to be a kingdom like that has never existed in human history. It's going to be a kingdom that where the devil, it, you notice the, the, it's originally described as a great red dragon. Because God wants you to understand that 
the overarching authority and power comes from that dragon comes from Satan and the devil this is going to be the first time in history where the devil Satan is ruling over the whole world with like unfettered power and he's gonna have a man that's behind the wheels this horn this you know he's likened unto being the beast as well that's going forth and you know it's even it's even more frightful Obviously, we have the Lord on our side so we have nothing to worry about in that sense if I die you know, you know, he overcame me, you know, temporarily, but I'm going to go to heaven. But, you know, it's even more frightful to think about the fact that this, you know what this, this one world system or this one world's government's objective is? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. To kill you. Think about that. That this monster with all of this power and dominion and his strength like you've never seen, it has one goal. To eradicate the earth of you. To kill you. I'm not saying that to, you know, just cause you to have a panic attack or something like that. But I want you to understand that this is going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, it's interesting to study and we need to understand these things. It's likened and, and explained as being this, this, this exceedingly dreadful creature because of the great power and, and strength that it's going to have. So, uh, next week I'm going to, I'm going to finalize kind of this subtopic Bible study. This has been much more of a Bible study than, you know, preaching, normal preaching sermons. And, uh, and I eventually very soon want to get into the, the Antichrist and how he, you know, goes into power, not in regards to the kingdom, but the man himself. I identified the Antichrist for you in one sermon about how he is going to be the devil incarnate. But I want to explain how just that that happens and kind of get into, you know, the, how it says the beast that was, you know, and, 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 and was not and is. I think I had those in the wrong order. But, you know, it talks about him dying, you know, and then he, 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 he existed, he, you know, dies, and then he comes back. So I want to explain all of that in a sermon as well, and that's going to be uh, very shortly. I hope you're enjoying these, and you know, I hope this compels you to study your Bible. And, uh, you know, notice how many things, and I was wrong about so many of these things throughout the past now, I just noticed the other day when I was going through some of this paperwork the other night that it was, it was almost eight years ago when I had first been given my uh, uh, certificate to preach at my church in New Macedonia. My wife and I were like putting some paperwork away. I was like, eight years ago. I have learned and, and learned so much doctrine that I was wrong about, you know, uh, uh, new things that I was incorrect about. This book is just, study your Bible. There's so much in here. It's so much deeper than you have any idea. You know, I was preaching and thought I knew the Bible well then. Preaching behind the pulpit. I went to revivals and preached and stuff at that time. And I, my doctrine has changed in ways, like not any kind of drastical foundational way, but I've learned so much in the Bible since then. In times, so many different things. About the rapture, grew in my knowledge of, you know, the, who the Jews are, all these different things, so, so much. Study your Bible. There's much to learn in your Bible. It's an interesting book. It's not boring. It's an amazing book. It's a book of wisdom. And, you know, and end times Bible prophecy is a very interesting subject as well. So, you know, study it and we can have conversations in our fellowship about it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you, dear Lord, for all these things being revealed. We thank you that they're, that they're not just easily spelled out, but we do have to study them. You know, they're more complex, and because of that, we can learn more details, and that we can grow in wisdom. We, love, we ask you that you bless everyone here, 
thank you for uh, uh, just being with us and giving us the word of God. As Brother Hall prayed, we, we know that our country is going to hell in a handbasket, but we are thankful, dear Lord, that uh, you have still granted us freedoms. And we, we live in somewhat of a Goshen in the world today, and even within the United States, you protect uh, your people. We ask you that if the tribulation and all these things happen in our lifetime, that you would give us wisdom, you'd give us strength, and you would uh, be with us, you know, uh, uh, most of all, and give us safety directly from your hand and guide us, protect us. Give us an understanding of your word so that we can be properly prepared and informed in what is about to happen uh, in the end times. We love you and be with us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.